Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 26, following along with lesson 25, Alma chapter 17 to 22, and this is probably my favorite chunk of scripture in all the Book of Mormon. It was this very set of scriptures that we read for this lesson that when I was a teenager, uh, found my passion and love for the Book of Mormon. Uh, I love Ammon. I love his story. And and just the, I remember being in my room reading the scriptures and getting to this part, uh, which was a feat because I could never get past Second Nephi. And I remember getting here and reading the story and just falling in love and feeling for maybe maybe not the first time uh, you know definitely not the first time but in one of the most powerful ways feeling the spirit and having uh, the spirit testify to me of the truthfulness of the book of mormon so this is a really important lesson in my life for my conversion and uh just super passionate about this specific lesson so i have a ton of thoughts and and things i want to share specifically scriptures i've got like 20 scriptures that i want to talk about so I'm going to get into the lesson, but before I do, just wanted to quickly say, so we just got back from vacation. We had gone to Lake Powell for the week. It was awesome. Great experience. Great people. Uh, great food. Ate super well. And uh, it, it just had a blast. Love Lake Powell. It's, it's kind of my happy place on this earth. And, uh, you know, I was able to successfully perform a 360 on the surfboard, which uh, is a trick I've been working on for a while. So that was awesome. And then we came back, and it was funny because it felt like we were super sheltered because we didn't have uh, internet or anything and, and data, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. Normally, there's a spot on the lake where we can get some LTE, but I guess Verizon and AT&T were having troubles uh, while we were gone, which ended up being fine. So it kind of protected and shielded us from what was happening on the news and in the news cycle. So we came back. And I'm not going to lie, I almost wish we could have just turned right back out to the lake to be out there. Um, it's a, There's a lot happening in the world all at once. And it can be, I don't know about you, but I know for me and for Lex, it's been extremely overwhelming. Just all the things at once with global pandemics, which has been an ongoing and will continue to be an ongoing part of our lives. Um. And uh, there's there's riots, there's protests, um, kind of on all ends of the spectrum, it feels like, actually. And, and there's just a lot going on. I think it's been a great time for some self-reflection, a uh, good time to ask some, you know, personal questions of yourself, of your thoughts, your beliefs, um, where you stand in society, and it, it was interesting. We were while we were down at Powell, we had some friends, and, and they were talking about the things that are happening in the world. And you know, they had a different perspective than uh, me and Lex did or do. And we were talking about it, and it was just, you know, it's amazing that there's 
you know, it doesn't feel like this when you watch the news. At least for me, it doesn't feel like this. Uh, but it is possible, I promise you, it is possible to actually disagree with someone on fundamental issues and re still respect them and still view them as a child of God and, um, and love them and be grateful for their differing perspective. And uh, I think that's my greatest fear for the world moving forward. And uh, just something that gives me great anxiety is that we come to a point as a society where we no longer can disagree, where disagreement is in its very nature um, not possible, right? Like if you disagree, then you villainize the other side. And we see it all the time in politics, and, and this is nothing new. I, th I think, especially those my age and, and my generation, where we're kind of newer to the political game, it feels like, wow, this has never happened before. Like under, under no other presidency or no other governor or no other government has it ever been so divided. And it's funny because history time and time again has proven that, no, this has been a, uh, a pattern as long as man has been on the earth. So this is not the, <laughs> like the first time that people have been divided. And, and this will not be the only time either. And uh, something that I've been noticing, a trend I've been seeing is that, at least for me and my beliefs, and like I said, this is just my opinion, but uh, that's all I have anyway. And my opinion is things are going to get a lot worse. And my prediction, and take this with a grain of salt, because uh, I am someone of no... Unlike, unlike Amulek, I have no position in the world and no status and uh, no prominence, which I like it that way. But just my opinion is that we are entering into a period where we are going to see the saints challenged on a level that's never um, happened in this dispensation um, before. And, and I'm taking that into account with everything that the church has gone through in the early days um, I just think we are in the final days and the scriptures teach us that there will be a separation. Uh, the wheat from the tares, as the, the parable goes. And I, I don't think it's like right now, necessarily. I think we're, it's a process. I don't think it's an event. I think it's a process. And I believe, I believe that this is just part of the process. The things happening in the world are dividing those who stand... Um, with with Christ, with the gospel. And you know what's funny is it's not even about differing opinions on what's happening in the world. This is just, do you believe that it is possible to have a different opinion than someone else and still see them um, as who they are, which is a child of God? And if if you cannot see the good in someone, even though they disagree with you, then... I just, you know, to me, I don't know if that you can call yourself a saint. And it's something that I think we all have to fight. And I know I have to fight it all the time. People that have differing opinions of me, I have to kind of fight that urge to make them the enemy. Because, um, you know, my stake president, when Lex and I got married, gave one of the greatest kind of uh, helps to me about marriage. And he said, there will be times in your marriage where you're going to come into arguments and you're both going to disagree passionately. And, and I can 
say with a surety that has happened multiple times in Lexamized marriage. And he said, in those moments, it will you there will be a tendency for you to want to make your spouse the enemy. And he said, the greatest gift God gave us, he gave this to Adam and Eve, is that he made uh, he, he made enmity with Satan uh, so that Satan's the enemy. And he said it a lot more eloquently than I just did. But he said, just remember, whenever there's disagreement, that that is the moment when Satan is going to try and tempt you to turn your spouse into your enemy and never forget that it is not your spouse who's the enemy, but Satan who's the enemy. And if you think about that, that means that disagreement is not the thing that causes us to become enemies. It's the feelings that Satan puts in our heart in moments of disagreement to try and tempt us to turn on each other. And this is happening more and more and will continue to happen more and more. It's one of my greatest fears moving forward. So I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to harp on this, but it's something I wanted to talk about because I'm seeing it more and more. I've been seeing it for years, something that I've been worried within myself even. And if we, as a group of saints, cannot, if we cannot uh, figure out how to, to disagree and still remain members of the same heavenly family, we will not find ourselves on the right hand of God when he returns. And that would be the greatest travesty. So um, that, those are just some of my thoughts. And um, I'm, you know, I know a lot of people have thoughts right now, and that's great. Just something I've been thinking about, that this is the last days, and um, the best thing we can do is to unite with one another, even through disagreements. So with that big old little chunk of thoughts, now I want to jump into the lesson, which like I said, I have a ton, so I'm going to try and cover it quick, and uh, I'm probably going to talk really fast, so I apologize, but let's do this. So in the beginning, it says, think of all the reasons people might give for not sharing the gospel. I don't know enough, or I'm not sure they would be interested, or maybe what if I offend them? Maybe you found yourself thinking similar things at times. The Nephites had an additional reason for not sharing the gospel with the Lamanites. They were a wild and hardened and ferocious people, a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites. But the sons of Mosiah had an even stronger reason why they felt they must share the gospel with the Lamanites. They were desirous that salvation should be declared to every creature, for they could not bear that any human soul should perish. This love that inspired Ammon and his brothers can also inspire you to share the gospel with your family, friends, and acquaintances, even those who may not seem likely to accept it. And I just want to say that I have had all of those thoughts that it talks about in the first uh, sentence about, I don't know enough, um, I'm not sure they would be interested, or what if I offend them? And I've had many more about reasons that have tried to stop me from sharing the gospel. So I think we've, I think all of us have had those, and uh, and that's okay. And uh, I, the point is, let don't let it stop you, right? So first chunk, first section, first chunk. Ideas for personal scripture study. As I strengthen my own faith, I can more effectively share the gospel. Have you ever been reunited with old friends and felt the way Alma did, or overjoyed that they had stayed strong in the faith? What do you learn from the sons of Mosiah about how to keep your faith in the gospel and commitment to it strong? As you ponder the spiritual strength of the sons of Mosiah, what do you feel inspired to do? So, um, and it, it goes on, but that's the part I want to focus on. That first part, have you ever been reunited with old friends and felt the way Alma did? Overjoyed that they had stayed strong in the faith? Yes. A uh, specific example. So me and my friend Connor, uh, Connor Barham had, we served missions at the exact same time. He went out two weeks before I did and we got home a day apart. And I remember we, we wrote each other throughout the mission. And when I got home and got off that plane, walked down, I saw my family, which was awesome. They had stayed 
they had stayed true. Um, and I saw all my friends and, and just, it was, it was funny. It was great to be able to hug all my friends, but Connor and I had this special thing because, you know, we had been serving at the same time, similar to Alma and Ammon. And we even joked about on the mission that we were having an Alma Ammon experience and, uh, how we were both serving missions at the same time and how we couldn't wait for our reunion. And although we had hoped that we wouldn't faint upon seeing each other (laughs) as, uh, Alma and Ammon did, that we still hope that it, you know, that reunion would be sweet. And it was, it was a very tender experience and I'm super grateful for that. And I am always grateful when I'm reunited with old friends who, they stay strong in the faith and I stay strong in the faith and being able to have that connection strengthens friendship, uh, honestly beyond anything. And I have that with multiple friends who, because we have the same connection and the same commitment to the gospel, when we do reunite after weeks, months, and years, it is a sweet reunion and not uh, an uncomfortable experience. In the second chunk, it says, I can be an instrument in God's hands to bring salvation to his children. President Thomas S. Monson said, I always want the Lord to know that if he needs an errand run, Tom Monson will run that errand for him. As you read Alma 17, 6 to 12, look for what the sons of Mosiah did so that they could be instruments in God's hands. How can you be an instrument in God's hands to bless others? And I'm going to stop there. Something I thought about for this question was that I need to be a pillar. I think everyone right now is looking for somebody to be their their rock right like we're all having a really tough time whether it be um emotional stability because we haven't been able to be out and about uh the world is not normal as it was months ago and it's it's been a really tough time physically emotionally socially spiritually uh you know we can't go to temples right now and it has been a really tough experience at least for me it has maybe i'm the only one but for me it's been a really tough experience not one that I've, um, you know, let crush me or anything, and I, I'm doing really well, but I recognize that it's definitely tough, and it's uh, it's been a test. It's been a trial, and it's also brought some great experiences that I couldn't have otherwise. You know, I've been able to have some very choice experiences with my kids, being able to, to work from home and um, be there with them during lunch and kind of see just all the things my wife does on a daily basis that, you know, because I'm usually at the office and she's at home, I haven't been able to truly appreciate. And and being able to see just how much she does just blows me away. gives me such an appreciation for my wife. And I thought I already appreciated her, you know? And so it's these moments, these trials that instead of focusing on, on all the tough things, I've been able to really, and, and not that I've been perfect. I don't want to pretend like I'm, I don't want to preach like, you know, I've been perfect every step of the way by looking at my blessings over my trials. But I've been blessed when I focus on my blessings and not when I focus on my trials. Focusing on my trials does me no good. All it does is tear me down more and make me feel depressed. And so as I take those moments to really focus on the blessings that I have in my life at this time, it's it's been a continuous blessing for me. And so that's what I've noticed is that Everyone needs someone right now, and something that I can do to be an instrument in God's hands is be a pillar for people. So I've been reaching out to my friends, making sure everyone's okay, and and it doesn't feel like it's a big it's a big thing or anything, and, and maybe it's not helping anyone, but just letting people know you're there, that you're still faithful, that you're still reading your scriptures, saying your prayers, studying Come Follow Me, you know, um, 
obviously we still have uh, a weird church schedule. Uh, Lex and I, our ward is doing a split kind of thing where it's every other week and we still haven't been able to go because of vacation, but um, yet things are definitely not normal still. So, so instead of expecting someone to be your rock, why not put yourself in a position to be someone else's rock, right? Because it's kind of like everyone needs a hero, but who's going to be their hero? And uh, it could either be you saying, I need someone to help me, or why don't you spend your time focusing on how can I help someone else? And and the scriptures teach us this constantly, right? When you're in the service of your fellow men, you're in the service of your God. That is what God's trying to do with all of us. He's trying to take us from quit needing to be the person instructed and instead get yourself to a place that you can help others to receive that conversion. And um, and it's a process, right? And, and the other thing I'm learning and have been learning and, and uh, whatever is that you can only help others as much as you have your conversion set. So the best thing you can be doing and I can be doing and have been working on is trying to get myself into a more converted state to be able to lift others. Um, so anyway, that's, that's something I had from that. The next chunk, it says, I can help others prepare to receive the gospel. Lamoni was the leader of a wild and hardened and ferocious people. Excuse me. Yet he overcame years of tradition and accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you read about Ammon's interactions with Lamoni, notice what Ammon did that might have helped Lamoni be more receptive to his message. If you if thoughts come to you about what uh, what you can do to share the gospel with others, write down these promptings. It may also be helpful to mark or write down the truths that Ammon taught Lamoni and the truths that Aaron taught Lamoni's father. What do these verses suggest to you about the truths you can share with others to help them see a testimony of the gospel? I'm going to get into this part a little bit when I get to the scriptures, but I just really quickly want to say that I, what I noticed is that they did not start off immediately throwing the gospel in uh, King Lamoni or, or uh, Lamoni's father's face, right? Uh, Ammon went in and instead was like, how can I serve you? And uh, I obviously, I don't know what Ammon was thinking. I don't know if he was like, this is going to, this will be a tactic that is going to work, but it did work. And more of what he showed is he showed that God was working within him. And by doing that, it got Lamoni interested and, um, and he was patient, right? So I, I think at the end of the day, best thing we can do is be friends to people and be genuine friends. Not just like I'm doing this so that you will want to learn more, but just like, I don't care if you decide to join the church or not, or learn more about the gospel or not, or have missionaries in your house, just be a genuine friend. And Obviously, always have the door open. Like if they're interested, then help that in, that uh, help that interest. Help be a, a person to be there for them. But if you're only being friends with someone uh, because you want to be a good missionary, uh, then, then honestly, that's not being a good missionary. And there's a great book by Clayton Christensen. Um, it's the power of the everyday missionary, and he talks about experiences like that where, you know, he was just trying to be a good missionary, and he realized it was actually being a bad friend it, with that mindset. So he changed it. And through that experience, became an incredible missionary. In the next chunk, my testimony can have a far-reaching influence. Though the accounts of conversion we read about in the scriptures often involve dramatic events, at their core, we usually find individuals who had the courage to speak up and share their witness with others. One way to study the events in Alma 18-22 to is to look for the far-reaching effects of one person bearing his or her testimony. Maybe you could record what you find in a diagram like this one that gives an example of the diagram. And I think that's a great activity. However, I didn't want to do it because I just didn't. So... Um, instead, what I want to just bring up here though, is that it's true. 
I have heard people complain, and even I have had thoughts like this too, that the Book of Mormon is amazing, except it talks about stories of miraculous experiences, and day-to-day is just not like that, uh, typically, right? Like, we might have one or two miraculous things happen in our lifetime. Um, I mean, maybe more. I don't know. I haven't counted the things in my lifetime. But typically, day-to-day interactions are not miraculous. Uh, at least they don't feel that way. And so it can be really tough to try and compare our lives with the scriptures because they're not dramatic events, right? And it feels like in the Book of Mormon, it was only the dramatic events that seemed to be recorded. And uh, what I think is important is to never lose sight of the fact that those day-to-day interactions and those uh, you know typical experiences are what pave the way for the miraculous dramatic ones. And so it's, you know, it's that daily scripture reading and studying that prepares you for that one lesson where that, you know, your one friend is struggling with something in their life and you happen to have read your scriptures that day because you've read it every single day and you happen to read the scripture that can help them and you share it that day. Uh, those are the type of miraculous experiences that happen through day-to-day uh, faithfulness. And that's something that I've seen in my life where when I am really good at the day-to-day faithfulness activities, like saying my prayers and meaning them and reading my scriptures and doing it meaningfully, when I'm when I'm really good at periods of my, t- my life where I'm like that, I have a lot more miraculous things occurring day-to-day. And when I'm not as good, I have less miracles that happen. And so, like to me, I believe that's a correlation where day-to-day faithfulness equals big dramatic miracles and not being as faithful obviously leads to less experiences that you can write down in your journal. So um, if that's something that you want in your life is the big dramatic experiences, then make sure you're doing the day-to-day things and and be patient and they will come. And then the, the final chunk of this section, it says, the Lord's arm is extended to me when I repent. At the conclusion of the account of Lamoni's conversion, Mormon taught something important about the Lord's character. What does Alma 1936 suggest to you about the Lord's character? When have you felt the Lord's arm extended towards you? How can you help those uh, you love feel his mercy? And um, it's funny. It's It always feels like it's in my darkest times of my life is when the Lord's arm is extended toward me. And I'm so grateful for that because that's what keeps me going. And so, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it always feels like he, he never forgets me and I know he never forgets you and his arms always extended. So don't ignore it when it's extended and, and repent when you need to repent, which should be daily. And then the second section, first chunk, it's, uh, Alma 17 to 19. Um, I'm going to skip this one, go down to the second chunk, which is Alma 18, 24 to 39. It says, perhaps your family members could read Alma 18, 24 to 39 together and identify the truths that Ammon taught Lamoni. Why do you think that Ammon taught Lamoni these truths first? And why is it important for us to have a testimony of these truths? And my quick answer to that is that because he taught him, uh, the, the gospel, he taught him the gospel. He didn't expound on these big, deep things. He taught him simple truth that are easy to understand. And he did it in a way that Lamoni could learn so quickly that he like wanted to, to receive more. Right. Um, so that, that's, that was my, my thoughts there. And then, and, uh, the next chunk, it's Alma 28 to 15. I just love that video. This, this dare to stand alone. And, uh, it always inspires me to, to really make sure that I'm willing to stand alone for, for what's right. And then in the final chunk, it's uh, 22, 15 to 18. 
And it talks, it says, review Alma to see what Lamoni's father was willing to give up in order to save his life. So I'm going to get into that one. Uh, I just want to say that I'm going to circle back to that. So with all of that, now let's jump into the scriptures. And uh, like I said, I'll try to do this quick. So the first one, and I'm going to have to keep uh, flipping back and forth between where I took the note and what the scripture was. So just bear with me. But the first one is in Alma 17, verse 10. And like I said, bear with me. I apologize. Okay, here we go. And it came to pass that the Lord did visit them with his spirit and said unto them, be comforted. And they were comforted. Uh, I just love that part. Be comforted and they were comforted. That's how easy it is that when we're seeking to be comforted by the Lord, uh, the spirit will comfort us. So so look for those opportunities. The second one is in Alma 17 verse 11. It says, And the Lord said unto them also, Go forth among the Lamanites thy brethren and establish my word. Yet ye shall be patient in long suffering and afflictions, that ye may show forth good examples unto them and me. And I will make an instrument of thee in my hands unto salvation of many souls. When you feel like you are suffering, when you feel like you are going through something tough and you don't understand it, I personally am going through something right now that has been incredibly tough for me. It wouldn't be tough to anyone else, but for me, it has been incredibly tough because I think we all have individual... Uh, we all have individual trials and stuff that, you know, to one person wouldn't be that hard and to another. So my trial is not that hard. It, it, I, like in context of what it is, it's not that difficult. But for me, it is like one of the most soul crushing things that's happening in my life right now. And it's, it's just, it's a career question. Okay. And that's kind of what I'm dealing with. I think I've talked about it previously and I don't really care to get into it. But my point being, I have been like, continuously on my knees praying saying why can I not have the answers that I need right now why are you making me wait months and months and months and it's been a month and month and months process this answered my my prayer and I hope it answers yours God has us go through things and he has us suffer and go through afflictions even horrible things so that we can set a good example to others and never forget that if you ever feel like you are suffering needlessly and you have been praying and praying do not give up on God and think He's not there for me. Instead, remember, he is making you into something that you can be an example for someone else. And that is so valuable. And th thankfully, I have had experiences in my life where I went through something like horrendously awful and didn't understand why in the moment. And years later, there was one person who happened to have a conversation with me. We get into my trials that I've been through and I start sharing something. It happened to be the very thing they were going through. And I can give them like a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and say, I have been through this and I promise it gets better. And so if you're going through something in your life, don't ever think that it is just for nothing. God is using you and it, it might not feel fair and it might not be fair, but he is using you to be able to help someone else. Okay. I can promise you that. Uh, even if it's your own children or posterity or someone else's child or whatever it is, I can promise you there is someone out there. The next verse is Alma 18 verse 14. Like I said, be patient. I'm going to do this a couple times. It says, Therefore Ammon turned himself unto the king and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do for thee, O king? And the king answered him, Not for the space of an hour, according to their time, which I've always been confused of. Is their time different than our time? And how do they measure time? And what's an hour? And blah, blah, blah. For he knew not what he should say unto him. And literally all I want to know is like, seriously, what what's the deal with their time? How is it different? How do they measure it? I don't know. Do you know? If you have answers, please give me answers. And also... Like, it's funny. He was so dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say, right? Like, that's incredible. Um, okay, next verse, 1822. Listen to my breathing. Now, Ammon being wise yet harmless, and I love the way that's written, right? Like, that's how we all should be. We should be wise yet harmless, meaning that we are, we, we are brilliant. We have the scriptures at our disposal, 
Um, we have the power of God with us, but we would not hurt anybody with that knowledge. We would not manipulate anybody. And he says, uh, he said unto Lamoni, wilt thou hearken unto my words if I tell thee by the power to do these things? And this is the thing that I desire of thee. Next verse I like, uh, excuse me, is in, is, is in the very next verse. It's 1823, where it says, uh, and the king answered him and said, yea, I will believe all thy words. And thus he was caught with guile. I think that's so funny that like it uses that term guile. And I've always wondered like, so is that a bad thing? And like I just said, we shouldn't manipulate people. Uh, but like he caught him in his curiosity. I, I, to me, the way I interpret that more is less about like the guile. It was like Emma knew what he was doing. He knew he was piquing his curiosity. He knew that if he just like word vomited the answers, then maybe it would turn him off. So instead he did it in a way that kept King Lamoni um, curious, which is why I actually believe persuasion is an important gift that the Holy Ghost provides us in being a missionary. Okay, next verse, 18, Alma 18, 34 and 35. The reason this verse, I love this verse so much. This was my mission verse. Uh, this was the, these were the two verses that went in my mission plaque. And to me, just were perfect sum of what my mission was to me. So it says, Ammon said unto him, I am a man and a man in the beginning was created after the image of God. And I am called up by his Holy Spirit to teach these things unto this people that they may be brought to a knowledge of that which is just and true. And a portion of that spirit dwelleth in me, which giveth me knowledge and also power according to my faith and desires, which are in God. And like I said, to me, that was what my mission was. I love that. Um, just some of my favorite verses of all time. And I love the way out that Ammon puts that. Next one's in 1842. It says, and now when he had said this, he fell into the earth as if he were dead. And the reason that verse sticks out to me is, is like, to me, no wonder he fell to the earth as if he was dead. He essentially got a full 10-hour general conference session all in one. Do you know how tired you are after two days of general conference and you've listened to all the sessions? Like, I'm always ready for a nap. And I always love general conference and I want more and more. But this guy, who has never heard of the gospel in his entire life, has just heard, essentially, like as a, as a missionary and preach my gospel, he just got lessons one through five all at once, like including the new member lessons, right? So no wonder he passed out as if he were dead. Uh, okay, and then the next verse is in 19.5. And it reads, Therefore, if this is the case, I would that you should go in and see my husband, for he is laid upon his bed and this for the space of two days and two nights. And some say that he is not dead, but others say that he is dead and that he stinketh and he ought to be placed in the sepulcher. But as for myself, to me, he doth not stink. I love this verse. This is where... Um, King Lamoni's wife comes into Ammon and is talking to him. And I, I, I love this verse as a teenager. And now being married has so much more meaning to me. As a teenager, I would share this in seminary, this verse. And I would say that there's a special bond between husband and wife. And I know this to be true now for myself. As a teenager, I was just like, you know, I believed it to be true. Now I know it to be true. There's a special bond between husband and wife where you can be emotionally connected in such a way that even though... Uh, everything seems uh, like on the outside, on the surface, what people tell you, all these things. It can seem like one thing in your heart you know because you have a deep connection with this person, right? And uh, King Lamoni and his wife had this connection, right? They, they weren't even sealed in the temple and they had this connection. I love that. She, has, she says, everyone's saying he's dead, but as for me and myself, he doth not stink. That's so much more than just he's not a stinky guy, right? Like she knew he wasn't dead. Everything within her told her he wasn't dead. And I love that connection that you can see that. So it's not just people in the gospel. 
uh, it's not just sealed members who can have that connection. It's everyone because marriage is such a beautiful and powerful thing. Um, but obviously the covenants we make in the temple make it far more significant and powerful. So next verse is 19 verse 6, the verse following, which says, Now this was what Ammon desired, for he knew that King Lamoni was under the power of God. He knew that the dark veil of unbelief was being cast from his mind, and the light which did light up his mind, which was the light of the glory of God, which was a marvelous light of his goodness. Yea, this light had been infused such joy into his soul, the cloud of darkness having been dispelled into the light of the everlasting life was lit up in his soul. Yea, he knew that this had overcome his natural frame, and he was carried away in God. That verse right there sums up what the experience that each of us needs to have in our life. You need to have such a powerful experience where the light of the gospel fills your life and dispels darkness. This is something that I am like, I am racing after in my life. This is something that I am chasing. It has to be every day, not just once, not just twice. It is an everyday thing. And this is the process of conversion. When you can get like seek the spirit in your life on a daily basis, that it like is filling your soul with light. That is how someone goes from good to great to perfect. Okay, this is the process. So I love that verse. It highlights it well. Next verse is in verse 10. It says, And Ammon said unto her, Blessed art thou because of thy exceeding faith. I say unto thee, woman, there has not been such great faith among all the people of the Nephites. I want you to think about that. That means, okay, at least to me, that faith, having faith where you haven't been taught it your whole life, right? That Like there are degrees of faith, clearly. And this woman had more faith than all the people of the Nephites. Why? Because she had never heard the truth and believed Ammon. She believed this missionary for the first time. So obviously this faith will not be enough to carry her to conversion though. So she might have more faith than all the Nephites, but if she doesn't continue to act on it, then that faith will diminish. Faith is not something that you have once and it's done. You have to keep working on it and striving for it. But I do love how he says, blessed art thou that hast more faith than all the Nephites uh, because he understood and recognized that, you know, for her to believe, like, it'd be so easy for the people to mock her for this belief about her husband not being dead and yada, yada, yada. And yet she still believed anyway. So I love that. Um, and that's the type of faith we should all be trying to striving to have, which is even when you can't see, even when it doesn't make sense, if in your heart the Spirit tells you it's true, you follow after that anyway, that's the type of faith this woman had. Next verse is 19, verse 16. And this is talking about Abish. So it says, and it came to pass that they did call on the name of the Lord and their might, even until they had all fallen to the earth, save it were one of the Laman, Lamanitish woman, whose name was Abish, she having been converted unto the Lord for many years on the account of a remarkable vision of her father. And I just wanted to point out about Abish. Number one, women are often, like, there's not a lot of women in the Book of Mormon, at least by name, right? Um, so Abish, like, the fact that she's included, super important and significant to me. The other thing that I find important is that this is an example of how God prepares people in all walks of life and in all respects for the circumstances that were going to happen. Can you imagine if everyone had passed out? Like if everyone in that room passed out, then who would be there to alert the people? Who would be there to get them to the next step? Who would be there for the next steps of conversion? And who would be there to wake up the queen? Because if, if, if someone else would have found them, then they would have made the assumptions that they were are going to make a little bit later on in these, in these verses. God prepared a bish. Okay, so she clearly was foreordained to this task of, of being converted and having the miraculous experience years before because of the vision of her father, all these things. And I just love how this points out and it doesn't say, it doesn't just come out and say it, but the fact is God prepares people for something down the road and it might not be what you were expecting. Thus the case with the bish. 19 verse 23 is the next one. And it says, now we see that Ammon could not be slain for the Lord had said unto Mosiah, his father, I will spare him and it shall be unto him according to thy faith. Therefore, Mosiah trusted unto him unto the Lord. When God makes you a promise, 
Put your full faith in that promise. Even when doubts in your life come up or things that maybe make it seem like there's no way that that promise could be fulfilled, do not ever doubt that. If you have your patriarchal blessing, do not doubt the blessings or promises in that patriarchal blessing, okay? And often in your patriarchal blessing, there will be a line that says, according to your faithfulness or, you know, based on your faithfulness or based on how much you follow the Lord, these blessings will come. Okay, so that is a stipulation of the blessing. So if something doesn't happen, don't discount either A, because it's not going to happen yet. B, it might not happen until the next life. Or C, you're doing something in your life long that is preventing you from receiving the blessings that you're foreordained to receive, okay? But do not, do not ever discount the blessings God gives you, not just in a patriarchal blessing, but in a, in a like a father's blessing or a, a priesthood blessing or revelation that comes to your heart, revelation you receive from the scriptures, things like that, and you know it's revelation, do not discount those. 19 verse 33. Like I said, I'm trying to do this as fast as possible. I, I apologize for making this one longer. Like I said, I love this section of scriptures. It says in 33, and it came to pass that when Ammon arose, he had also, he also administered unto them and also did all the servants of Lamona. And they did all, they did all declare unto the people, the self same thing that their hearts had been changed, that they had no more desire to do. Evil. Once again, that verse highlights, um, what, ha- what needs to happen in all of us, that when we are converted, we have no more desire to do evil. And finally, 1936, my big fat knuckles hit something else. It says, and thus the work of the Lord did commence among the Lamanites. Thus the Lord did begin to pour out his spirit upon them. And we see that his army has ascended to all people who will repent and believe on his name. The Lord does not hold back his blessings or promises from anyone. The condition is that we need to be willing to repent. Ver- uh, next, Alma 20, 29, only three left. Okay, it says, and when Ammon did meet them, he was exceedingly sorrowful for behold, they were naked and their skins were worn exceedingly because of being bound with strong cords. And they also had suffered hunger, thirst, and all kinds of afflictions. Nevertheless, they were patient in all their sufferings. I love that example. Be patient in your sufferings. Um, You will be an example to others, especially those that go through similar trials or those that maybe don't have to go through those trials, but will look to your example. A quick example is actually my brother, Trey. Brother Trey's on a mission right now. Um, So this is my brother-in-law, but... So my brother Trey's on his mission. He had to come home because of coronavirus from Bolivia. Then had to make the decision. So he had been out for like nine months, 10 months or whatever. Had to make the decision whether to go back out on a mission or be done and stay home and, uh, and essentially get like an honorable release, right? He made that super tough decision. A decision I don't believe that I could have made if I had been given that same choice. He made the tough decision to go back out on a mission. He got reassigned to Tucson, Arizona. He's out there right now. Freaking the week he's out there, the whole state catches on fire. And uh, and he doesn't even know if he's going to ever get reassigned to Bolivia because of COVID and, and travel restrictions and all these things. But he went out in faith. Let me tell you, I am so grateful for his example because when my kids go to go on a mission, and they're going to go through tough things, if missions even exist by then, because, you know, it feels like everything's changing. But regardless, the example that he is setting for me, for Lex, for all of his siblings, but most importantly to me, for my children. That is huge because they will never be able to grow up in my household and tell me, dad, like I can't, I came home from my mission, you know, after a year because of a new pandemic, I think I'm just going to call it quits. Well, how can they look me in the face when I point to Trey and I'm like, well, Trey went back out. Like, why, why can't you, what is it in your life? And obviously, they, 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 they maybe receive revelation or whatever. I, I'm not saying circumstance can't change. What I am saying, though, is that his example of going back out uh, when he didn't have to, 
is a huge example for me about faithfulness, about the missionary spirit, what it means to be converted to the Lord and seeking after that conversion and helping bless other people's lives. Like that is the gospel and Trey is living it and he's doing it in a way that is blessing my life, blessing my wife's life, blessing his family's life, future, his future family and his children. And you get it. So, so that's what, that's that right there is the example to me. Um, and I love that. So never forget that you are an example to someone else. 22 verse three. And now, O king, if thou wilt spare our lives, we will be thy servants. And the king said unto them, Arise, I will grant unto you your lives. And I will not suffer that you should be my servants, but I will insist that you shall administer unto me. For I have been somewhat troubled in mind because of the generosity and greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon. And I desire to know the cause why he has not come up out of Madoni with thee. Okay, I just love that. Like, So Aaron and the others, like, they don't have success early on, right? They just don't. So then they talk to Ammon. Clearly Ammon probably, like, they were like, how did you get? king lamoni to talk to you right and clearly he told them and then they were like that's a great finding technique we're gonna try and use that very same thing and then they go to use that same finding method and then the king's like no 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 like let's not bother with that i'm already interested so i just think it's funny like you can kind of see like the parallels of modern day missionaries where it's like well this finding technique worked for me you could try this and then people do it right it, anyway i just thought that verse was funny and then finally alma 22 verse 15 and this is where I said we would get back uh, in the lesson previously. So it says, And it came to pass that after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having the wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive the spirit that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day? Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. Compare that with Alma 20, 23, where it says, Now the king, fearing he should lose his life, said, If thou wilt spare me, I will grant unto thee whatsoever thou wilt ask, even the, to the half of the kingdom. Why the difference? Why, when it was his life, he'd only give up half of his kingdom? But now, when it's the, the sacrifice to be born of God, he will give up everything. That right there, that is the comparison of scales of what, what it means when you seek your life Versus when you give up your life for God. When you seek your life, you don't even value it the same. You just can't. Because you have nothing really of value to give. Your life is only as valuable as that which you have. So the king's life was only as valuable as his kingdom. Because that's what he had. So he was only willing to give up half. Because if he gives up more, obviously, then he felt like he was, you know, it wasn't worth him to be living then. His life wasn't that valuable. But then when he finds out about the gospel and he finds out that he can receive mansions in heaven to be able to live with God again and all these things, he'd give up anything. Those are the differences of what Satan's offering and what God is offering. Satan offers the world and you're only willing to give up half. God offers you eternity and you give up everything. So I want you to think about that in the day-to-day -day interactions you have and the day-to-day -day decisions between sin and righteousness. It's something that I've been trying to do is that anytime I'm faced with a temptation, I remind myself, I am willing to give up everything, temptations, weaknesses, uh, my trials, the way that I respond to things, which isn't always the best. Um, I'd give up everything. And, and it's not something that's an everyday thing. Some days I'm a little bit more temporal than others. And, and maybe I'm like, well, I'll only give up like 75% of everything to seek after God. And so I have to fight 
to be able to work for that conversion. And that's what we all are trying to work on, I know. And so just don't forget that if you need a measuring of how to measure your life, think about that. What are you willing to give up to live with God again? And if there's something in your life that you're like, I'm not willing to give this up, then that's the thing that God wants. And because he does ask everything and he doesn't do it for like for no reason. There's a reason and it's because he wants to bless you with more. So that's the challenge that we all have and that's the the challenge I give to you as well as myself, which is figure out what you're not willing to give up. What is the half of your kingdom that you refuse to give up and then give it to God? And I promise you, he'll bless you with eternal life and you will be a blessing to those around you far more than you ever could with an entire kingdom. Brothers and sisters, I appreciate you listening and being part of this family room discussion. Um, If you had insights or questions, share them with me. I want to hear them. I always want to hear them. One final thought I had is that this week I read a book uh, by, once again, by Clayton Christensen, one of my favorite just people that's ever lived on this earth. He's just an awesome, I wish he was alive. He was one of the few people that I, normally I don't care about like celebrities or anything. And he's one of the few people who was a celebrity in my mind who I wished I could have had lunch with. Um, but I know he's in a better place. But I read his book, How Will You Measure Your Life? And I recommend everyone read that book. I wish I would have read that when I was 20. It changed the way I think about life, uh, changed the way I, I will measure my life, because, I mean, that's the premise of the book, obviously. But also, it changed behaviors and patterns within me, or, or at least to help me recognize things I want to change about myself, to be able to live the fullest life possible. So I recommend that book, like, to the unt degree. I recommend the scriptures first, but then I recommend, I recommend that book. So anyway, once again, thank you for joining me in this discussion. And until next week, have a blessed week.